Welcome to America now. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. Comey strikes back. At least that's what it looks like right now, uh, based on this uh, New York Times report. Big breaking news here, my friends. Headline, Comey memo says Trump asked him to end Flynn investigation. This is now, it's everywhere. (laughs) Just like yesterday when I was on air with you, the story broke about Trump telling the Russians stuff that some say was very classified. And uh, we had National Security Advisor McMaster today telling everybody, no, in fact, it was not uh, what they were saying it was. But that story has been pushed now uh, further back in this hour. Um, We will get to it with the updates on it. Uh, But right now, the main story, the one that is going to be lighting up social media and and all the news channels and all the newspapers everything across the country is that there's an allegation from the New York Times that director Comey had a memo let me just walk you through this and we can get into what it means that former FBI director Comey fired last week that was the huge scandal last week oh impeach Trump look what he's done uh, that happened last week now this week we've had the Trump-Russia disclosure uh, discussion, and that was yesterday. Now, today, we have Trump interfering with the FBI investigation into Flynn and into uh, General Flynn and Russia. That's the storyline tonight. So here's what happened. You have former FBI director had a meeting with President Trump. Now, some of his notes of those meetings are considered classified. This memo of this meeting is, as far as I understand it, entirely unclassified. The New York Times does not have in its possession this memo. It had a it had a an associate of Flynn's uh, read parts of the memo to a Times reporter. And this is what they are claiming is said in this memo, which, of course, they're then stating is the first real proof of Trump trying to impede the Russia investigation, right? Uh, Here's what the Times writes. Uh, Mr. Comey shared the existence of the memo with senior FBI officials and close associates. The New York Times has not viewed a copy of the memo, which is unclassified, but one of Comey's associates read parts of the memo to a Times reporter. Quote, I hope you can see your way clear to letting letting this go, to letting Flynn go, Mr. Trump told Mr. Comey, according to the memo, he is a good guy. I hope you can let this go. Mr. Trump told Mr. Comey that Mr. Flynn had done nothing wrong, according to the memo. Mr. Comey did not say anything to Mr. Trump about curtailing the investigation, only replying, I agree he is a good guy. Very, a very lawyerly and pre- uh, precise in its imprecision 
response from the former FBI director. Now, a few things to state right up front. White House is disputing this. Uh, they say that, quote, while the president has repeatedly expressed his view that General Flynn is a decent man who served and protected our country, the president has never asked Mr. Comey or anyone else to end any investigation, including any investigation involving General Flynn. The president has the utmost respect for our law enforcement agencies and all investigations. This is not a truthful or accurate portrayal of the conversation between the president and Mr. Comey, end quote. Okay. So this is not yet affirmed, this is not confirmed, that the memo says this. The New York Times does not have a copy of the memo, and nor has anybody spoken directly to the authenticity of that memo once in the hands of the journalists at the New York Times. But you can imagine where this is going right now in terms of opinion and the way uh, everyone on the left or all the anti-Trump <clears throat> anti-Trump folks out there are going to portray this. This is now anti-Trump. If not, this is DEFCON 2, I guess, in the impeach Trump, uh, in the impeach Trump side. And they think that now they've got momentum from yesterday and with today, they'll push even further on this. Now, here's what I'll say about it. Uh, first off, it should be noted that those who claim there is a deep state that is working to undermine Donald Trump, it, it, there are people, I don't know how big the deep state is, how many there are, but some folks inside the government want to bring this presidency down. That's been obvious for a while, but there's no way you can tell me otherwise right now. Unless someone is calling up the New York Times, pretending to be an FBI associate of Comey's, such that the New York Times believes them, which I suppose could happen, but seems very unlikely, someone in the FBI is taking it upon himself or herself to share information uh, that was in the FBI director's possession that is has no purpose other than to hurt the Trump administration and to hurt the president himself. That's it. There's no other reason. And the timing of this is obvious, right? Comey gets fired and now this information comes out. Was Comey complicit in this? Who knows? Uh, I'm sure he would deny that, and uh, that may in fact be the case. I don't know. But certainly someone in Comey's inner circle would have had to know about the existence of this investigation, would have known about this and therefore, or sorry, would have known about this conversation, and that means that there can't be that wide of a circle that would have access to this. So is there someone at the high level in the FBI that is running a an information operation against the Trump administration? Someone's running a, a PSYOP, a psychological operation, in effect, against Trump. It's a fair question to ask right now. Um, and for those of you who might just be joining us, New York Times headline that Comey memo says Trump asked him to end Flynn investigation. Okay, Uh, that's now going to add in all kinds of ways to the pressure on the investigations that are going on now. There, of course, that they really want. They just have to get this uh, to be enough pressure for an a special prosecutor to get appointed. Once they have a special prosecutor, then they have the weapon they need to destroy the administration. They know it. Uh, because even if there's nothing to the Russia collusion investigations, and, and I don't think that there 
is nor will there be a special prosecutor. It becomes a a sort of little mini DOJ unto himself or herself and can just run wild and uh, put people under oath and do all kinds of things that can result in prosecutions, even absent any uh, real criminal wrongdoing. Right. At some point, the process itself becomes the way that people can um, get caught up in all of this. So just you you saw this with the Bush administration. It, it can happen. That's what they're hoping to get here. We do have to take seriously, though, the possibility that Trump maybe did say something to Comey that does not look good. Um, I, I don't like this binary offense-defense thing all the time. I, I do think that we need to take each story as it comes along. And can I foresee a situation or, or can I find it credible that the, the president of the United States sitting down with Comey may have been like, yeah, I, I hope you let the Flynn thing go. That's not an order from the president, but it's it's a a statement of influence. It's possible. Like I said, not yet confirmed. And now you can get into a bit of, well, how much of the. Uh, how much of that memo is one person's interpretation of what Trump was saying? Was it an offhand comment that Trump made? Or There will be a lot of parsing that goes on here. I think that much is clear. Um, but between yesterday's story intended to show that Trump is somehow inept, incapable, and untrustworthy on national security matters, and then today with the uh, politicization um, of an investigation by Trump, perhaps himself, this may be the roughest 48 hours in the news cycle that the president has yet had, which is saying something. Uh, I think this is rougher than the uh, Flynn firing in that whole period of time. I think this is the worst that the Trump team has yet seen um, because it's a momentum thing. The public perception here they can keep it driving in one direction like i said i think the goal they know that trump's not they can yell about impeachment but that's almost a a a tactic to get something less that they think is achievable they're going to yell about impeachment but they want a special prosecutor because they don't believe at least i don't think they believe that they'll ever get to a point where the republicans will impeach trump based on what we've seen so far i mean look in three months we could find out something crazy and maybe i've been wrong this whole time or maybe there's a lot of stuff out there that we don't know but based on everything we've been told so far there's no way there's going to be an impeachment because there's no reason for there to be impeachment um but a special prosecutor well that might just get somebody for a lower level offense but now you've got criminal criminal prosecutions going on of this white house which then creates its its own narrative, right? There's criminality in the White House. And someone lied to an FBI agent or someone lied on a, a disclosure form about their finances or something, whatever, the, whatever it may be. Um, once you turn loose a special prosecutor, you are in a position where there could be prosecutions even if the underlying criminality did not happen. So... If Flynn intervened, I'm sorry, if Trump intervened here and was trying to exert pressure on the FBI director to drop the investigation, that would be unwise. Uh, it's not criminal, but it doesn't look good. White House has already denied it, so I'm assuming there won't be anything uh, beyond that from them. They're saying it's not true. And 
I think people are going to want to hear from James Comey himself as to whether this is unclassified. I don't I mean, Comey can say um, that it's presidential privilege or something, but if this is true, it's coming from Comey's hand, literally, if it's a memo that he wrote or, you know, typed out, uh, then we should know about this. He should be willing to step forward and say, well, this this is this is accurate. But then wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been inaccurate for the acting FBI director a couple of days ago to say that there was no attempt to influence the investigation one way or the other by this White House? So that part of it doesn't really add up for me. Also, uh, Trump seemed to know that Comey or someone someone with close access to Comey was going to try something like this. Remember his tweet, which was a little out of left field about recording conversations and maybe conversations with Comey were recorded. And so he better watch out with what he says. And now here we are with the release of a memo front page story in the New York Times, major, uh, major story that will dominate the news cycle for at least 24 hours. If not, I mean, for more than that, probably, but for at least the next 24 hours is all people are really going to hear about. Um, I, I don't know uh, where this goes. We've reached a point now where people don't trust the press and people don't trust the they don't trust anybody in the media, really. Well, anybody in the mainstream media. And there also is a large portion of the country that doesn't trust anybody in this White House, including General McMaster today. I saw that happening, too. So now it all comes down to who do you believe? Objectivity, uh, truthfulness, integrity, uh, though that's the center of this battleground right now. Who do you believe? Who do you trust? Who do you think is being straight with the American people um, versus who's playing out an elaborate agenda here to undermine a a new presidency and uh, has put them on defense? I think that much we can all admit at this point. Uh, if this Comey memo is false, by the way, and the New York Times ran with this, and this and this is fake news, how does the New York Times ever recover from that? But if Comey won't say one way or the other whether it's true i suppose people just go to one side or the other based on um, who they believe and we go from there um what do you think about this by the way if you have any thoughts on the memo uh, the alleged memo saying that trump asked uh, him to end the flynn investigation uh, let me know oh, let me know your thoughts maybe you just think the time this is fake news uh we'll see 844-900-2825 844-900-BUCK team. We're hitting a quick break and we'll be right back with more on this and also the follow-up to the Russia disclosure allegations yesterday about classified information. we got a lot of shows. Stay with me. Interesting note in this uh, major New York Times piece that I think will get a lot more attention uh, in the next 24 hours or so that quote, Mr. Comey created similar memos, including some that are classified about every phone call and meeting he had with the president. Um, remember, we're talking here about whether the president of the United States, as the New York Times is alleging here, whether the president tried to exert influence to shut down the Flynn investigation. You see where the analysis goes after that, right? They will say um, they will say that firing Comey was just in response to his unresponsiveness on dropping the Flynn investigation. And from there, it gets bad. By the way, impeachable offense is something you're going to hear a lot of. 
Let's note that an impeachable offense is a very elastic term. You know what's impeachable? Whatever the Congress decides is impeachable, really. I mean, I know there's high crimes and misdemeanors, but uh, that's very broad terminology. It's really a it's a political standard much more than it is uh, anything else, certainly more than it is a criminal standard. And in fact, Bill Clinton, oh, the Clintons, how they have done so much for American politics. None of it good. Uh, Bill Clinton lied under oath. That is a felony. Um, not allowed to do that. And he clearly did it. And not only was he uh, not, well, he was not removed from office. Let's be very specific here. He was impeached. He was not removed because the Senate would not go along with removal. That was the hyper-partisanship of that era on display. But he was impeached. Um, well, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see how many times we hear about impeachable offenses in the days ahead. But yeah, Clinton lied under oath, uh, committed a crime, was not uh, was not removed from office. So clearly high crimes and misdemeanors does not mean what it says it means if you're a Democrat. Um, there's that. But yeah, impeachable offense, you're, you're going to hear that in the days ahead. But if there are more memos, uh, I would think that it's imperative for Congress to get this stuff. We need more first-person primary source material in these debates and discussions. I don't know who to trust anymore um, because so much of the media seems to be corrupt with anti-Trumpism. I don't mean trust them on their opinions. I mean, I don't know if I can trust their basic facts. Look at what was reported after the Comey firing about how, oh, he's the uh, deputy attorney general was going to resign. That was a lie. Um that that uh, Comey, you know, Comey asked for more resources. That was a lie, right? There, there are things that were reported, just not true. And if your standard now as a journalist, as a reporter, is somebody told me a thing and I just reported it because I liked the way it sounded, well, what does that mean about the integrity of that profession? In this case, they've got a guy on a phone who's reading from a memo. That doesn't seem like great authentication to me. Uh, do we think that this would have gone the other way? Would you be able to call up the New York Times and say, hey, I've got proof that Hillary willfully violated classified protocols you know, over 100 times? And let me read to you from a memo that proves it. Do you, do you think that you think the New York Times would run with that story? You see here they uh, see a tremendous political utility, a usefulness in this narrative right now. And so the possible fallout from running with a story that's not, strictly speaking, true or accurate uh, is secondary to the primary purpose of hurting Trump and his team. So uh, we'll, we're, there's a lot we don't know yet, and we got to find out more information. Congress needs to step up. I mean, I don't even know what we're paying these guys for these days in Congress. It just I don't know you can say that at any number of periods in time, but... Right now in particular, it would be good if we could finally get some information. Uh, oh, and by the way, let me just throw this out there. So a memo that was in Comey's possession comes out when it does maximum impact against the Trump administration. If there were uh, collusion evidence, back to a premise I've brought up many times before, does anybody doubt that that would have been leaked to the New York Times, the Washington Post? If so, I'd want to know why they doubt that. <laughs> Doug Sexton with America Now. We are bold. 
The Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Ted in Florida on WFLA. What's up, Ted? Hey, how's it going? I'm all right, you know. Just just trying to keep freedom alive, my friend. All right. Uh, With with Trump, I could see him wanting to keep, you know, Flynn active at the time, uh, but I don't see him asking him to turn the blind eye to it. He's just asking him, look, you know, if if it's something minor, you know, let it go. Uh, But he didn't ask him to, you know, shut it down. Yeah, I, 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 I think that they're going to look at the specific verbiage uh, of what he said here and you know, saying, I, I, I hope you can see past this. That's different than this is in order. If he had ordered Comey to stand down the investigation, Comey would have said no. It's not in the president's purview to do so, right? It would be, in a sense, although now we're getting really down into, into some uh, legal weeds here, it wouldn't be a valid order, right? I mean, the, the president can't say to the FBI director, drop that investigation. I mean, maybe the president could say it, but the FBI director would obviously be able to go public with it, and that would be a huge problem, and nobody would expect an FBI director to do it. So saying, I hope you can see past it, I mean, I, you know, maybe Trump was kind of pleading for his guy a little bit here and hoping for a little leniency. Uh, that doesn't mean that that's okay in the sense that it's a an unwise thing to do with Comey, who's clearly uh, a political operator, uh, as well as FBI, a former FBI director, um, but you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't think it's, it's, I don't think Trump meant it as, you know, this is like when people do the Trump translations from the campaign, you know, this is what Trump meant to say. I don't think Trump was trying to get the FBI, assuming the memo is accurate and assuming it's true. I don't think Trump was trying to get the investigation shut down as a function of this is what I'm ordering you to do. I think he was just saying, look, I, it's a crappy situation and I, I hope that, uh, you know, we can move past this. But Trump may have been Im- imprecise in his language. Uh, but we should, you know, we should all. Be- what do you think, Ted? Am I am I on the right track with that, or am I being too generous? I, I think so. No, I, I think you're on the right track. I think that uh, you know Flynn was just getting into his job, and he wanted to try to keep Flynn in his job. Uh, now, whether he resigned rightfully or uh, you know was railroaded into it uh, is, is neither here nor there. I mean, that's, that's already passed. Uh, so, to me, this is a non-point. Well, they're going to make it a huge point, as you can imagine. Uh, thanks for calling in, Ted. Good to have you uh, join us from Florida. Evelyn in North Carolina, WPTI. What's up, Evelyn? Hi, Buck. Thank you for having me. Okay, as far as the Washington Post, New York Times articles, and any news they put out, including all those uh Fake news channels, I don't believe anything. I just take it with a grain of salt. And why can't these obstructionists, and that's all they are, and that includes Schumer and all those liberals and the the Republicans who won't support Donald Trump's agenda, why can't they see he's a strong man? After all, all the stuff they've been throwing at him and trying to put obstacles in his way, why can't they just say, okay, let's see what he's going to do for our country? 
give this a chance. They're not helping us at all. They're not helping improve the country. It's a mess from Obama. It's a mess now. And it's because President Trump can't get his agenda over. And I'm just so tired of it. And I'm, I'm tired of it, too. To be honest. Evelyn, I wish I was here talking about how Democrats are are opposing uh, the you know immigration security bill that Trump is trying to help or you know Trump is, is pushing for and the Republicans are shepherding through the process and Democrat objections. So I wish those were our, our daily discussions here. But this and the, the White House is under siege and the White House is uh, obstructed right now by media that is calling. Look, they're calling for the president to be impeached. They're calling for this president to stop being the president. That's what they're saying. They're it, just yeah, they're crybabies. Evelyn, thank you for uh, for calling in from North Carolina. I appreciate it. Uh, one other thing that came up in this uh, in this note, in the memo, uh, quote, alone in the Oval Office, Mr. Trump began the discussion by condemning leaks to the news media, saying that Mr. Comey should consider putting reporters in prison for publishing classified information, according to one of Mr. Comey's associates. Uh, and then Mr. Trump turned to the discussion of Mr. Flynn. This is a much more uh, interesting conversation, and it, there's a much more uncomfortable tension around the First Amendment and classified than um, I think is is most people realize, because why would they? But also than even the media realizes. Uh, there is no explicit exception uh, for anyone to the uh, Espionage Act, to the law that is currently used to go after people for any kind of unauthorized disclosure. Uh, and so if you're a journalist, that doesn't there's not some specific exception. Comey actually said this recently in in a hearing. I do think it's fascinating that the particularly the leftist newspapers, the Washington Post, the New York Times, are are able to have convinced the public that whenever they disclose stuff, they're just they're just journalists, man. Like they're just doing their job. It's fine, uh, and, and so they're informing the public, and that's a good thing. But at the Times, for example, somebody in an administration who passes along the information that we're supposed to believe was a good thing for the public to know, that person has done something terrible and wrong. Uh, we want to speak about collusion. Isn't the Times colluding in that? I mean, isn't that... Uh, why do we make this... I'm talking about on a moral level now. I understand the the legal the legal reasoning here is they just need to draw a line somewhere, and they need to try to keep some government secret secret. But it is fascinating to me on an ethical perspective. We just concede that journalists, yeah, you know, when they tell us stuff, they've got good judgment and they're not they're not betraying their country or anything by publishing even really, really secret stuff. Play that thought experiment out a little bit. Is there anything the New York Times could publish where we'd say, you know, that's actually too much? <laughs> that's that's on it. I'm not, and I'm not looking at a specific incident of anything, but it just I, I think it's a, a much more complicated discussion than. Uh, most people in the media even see it uh, as. I, I think that this is not as, as cut and dry as media likes to pretend that it is because they like to go around like a glorified gossip columnist sometimes and just, you know, well, I heard this. Isn't this an inter- interesting story? This will get clicks. I'm just going to run with this. Is it dangerous? Is it going to hurt people for that to be publicly uh, out there? Well, we just leave it to the media to decide, right? Well, isn't that interesting? So if you're... You know, the the White House deputy assistant for whatever, and you tell somebody at the New York Times, hey, you know, X, Y, Z, and the New York Times publishes X, Y, Z, they're doing, you know, they're doing God's work. You know, that's the, 
it's the First Amendment, the media, but the person in the White House is a terrible person. I understand the legal realities here, but think about that for a second. Why Why is it good for everyone to know, and that's great, but uh, the the initial, like I said, it's just because they don't know how to draw the line otherwise, uh, because we don't want to be in a place where media is getting uh, locked up for stuff. Although they got closer under the Trump, admi- I mean, under the, pardon me, under the Obama administration than ever before. More prosecutions under the Espionage Act than every presidency before it combined. And the media was just just complacent, just sitting around silent on it, you know, just, eh, yeah. So little pushback when Obama was in office for the Department of Justice uh, surveilling journalists' uh, communications. You know, that that was just, oh, yeah, you know, there was, there was not a tremendous amount of outrage. We were not hearing about tyranny and fascism and the death of the First Amendment, and we should have been. Under the Obama administration, we should have. I mean, you can't say you can't hear that statistic. You can't say that without feeling a bit of a cold shudder, right? Obama administration, more prosecutions under the Espionage Act than every president before Obama combined. But you know what that was? And you're seeing a difference now with the way that the government's acting under Trump. That was in part. Making examples that was to show that if you if you step out of line under Obama, while Obama's in office, they will crush you. It was intended with it, it had an intended effect. Uh, that was why they took such a hard line on this. Of course, the media was quiet and allowed Obama to get away with that largely. Whereas with Trump, if if anything like that were to happen, you can imagine it would just be next level uh, well, I don't know what the next level is they're already saying he should be impeached but there would be rage in the journalist establishment if Trump did the things that were done numerous times under the Obama administration um, so I just that's one thing that uh, is going to get a lot of attention I'm sure here Comey being allegedly told by Trump that maybe we should consider prosecuting reporters for publishing classified information you know, it, it, they they can be pretty reckless reporters sometimes with this stuff. And if, if they do it willingly and, and knowingly, um, like I said, legally, I get it right. The government doesn't want to be in the position of saying what the uh, what the First Amendment does and does not cover. Uh, but ethically, it's a little more, you know, if, if The New York Times reports on a very sensitive intelligence source and and as a result of that, something terrible happens. Is The New York Times just that's OK. We just because it's the near because they're journalists. That's okay. I, I don't know if that's something that we should just concede. Uh, they're still U.S. citizens, bound by U.S. federal law. Um, but of course, what I'm what I wanted to point out and what got me thinking about this initially was that with the Obama administration and the way that it treated the First Amendment and classified information, uh, there was real reason to be concerned, and the media was just like a bunch of bleeding sheep. Just it didn't want to didn't want to cause any problems, you know. Uh, with Trump just raising this issue, this issue with Comey, I think well this will get a, a life of its own. Now this is going to be another aspect of the story um, that we're going to be hearing a lot about that Trump wants to destroy journalism and he wants to prosecute journalists. Well, uh, Obama was like actually taking steps, and his attorney general taking steps to do that, not just musing about it out loud. Nothing. Um, I think that's worth that's worth keeping in mind here. Um, okay. I didn't even get to the McMaster stuff because there's a lot going on here. Uh, 844-900-BUCK 
Let's talk about yesterday, the follow-up to yesterday's main story. By the way, we're going to have our friend Andy McCarthy, former federal prosecutor from uh, and a writer for National Review. He'll be joining in the next hour, so we'll get some real expert insight into the legal aspects of all of this and what he thinks about Comey. And Oh, everyone, it's, it's just, it's a mess today. It's a mess. And... It's the the storylines that everyone's running with. There, it's just depressing that we have to we have to be so deep into this. There are real problems to fix. There, are, there's stuff that I want to spend more of our time, and we will. But today, it's just a street fight, everybody. And whether we want to be or not, we're in the middle of it. We'll be right back. Political atmospherics that are being reported right now in D.C. include the following, uh, that there are no Republicans who will go on air right now uh, from the Congress. I mean, no no Republican members of Congress will go on air to defend the Trump administration right now. Whether that's true or not, you know, maybe they, they haven't gotten anybody fast enough, but that's what I'm seeing reported here. Uh, also, as you know, Trey Gowdy withdrew his name for consideration for FBI director. Um, I've always found Trey Gowdy to be uh, very impressive and very, very on the ball. And it is interesting to me that he withdrew and, uh, you know, wasn't even clear it was going to be him. But he's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. So, hmm. I do not want to, you know, I do not want to be the... Uh, FBI director. There we go. I got I got into it for a second. I, I, I can do a little bit of a, of a trade out. Mr. Speaker, the FBI director is not a position that I would like. Something like that. I'm, I'm getting closer to my... I got to work on my trade out. Um, David in Mississippi on WJDX. What's up, sir? Great. Hey. Hey, what's up? Can you hear me? Yes, sir, we can. Thank you for calling in. So um, I'm uh, I'm married to a Mexican. I, I love your show. I listen to you every day. Thank you so much. Um, but we've been married 14 years. Hey, Buck, have you ever been to Mexico? I have indeed, sir. Okay. Well, I have two. I've been probably about 15 to 20 times all over the all over the country, from the north down to the south, east, west. I've been everywhere, and I I can tell you this: the the wall would be the best thing that ever happened to Mexico. And and here's why. Uh, my, my wife's from a, a part of Mexico that's pretty poor. Um, and basically in that area, you if you want to have a really good life, if you want to have a shot at a decent life, you do two things. Uh, you either go into drugs or you pack up and you go to the United States. And, of course, there are some jobs down there, but, you know, those people down there, they make in a week what we make in a day. And if we build the border wall, it's going to cut off a lot of the drugs, and it's going to tremendously stop, even more so than now, the flow of illegal aliens across the border. So what's going to happen is is, uh, generations of Hispanics who have been programmed to come to the U.S. to make a good life for themselves and send money back home. Well, all of a sudden, they're not going to be able to do that anymore. So when they get to the wall and they turn around, they're going to be staring at what is truly the worst swamp in North America, and that is Mexico City. They make, their their political system, their government makes our 
our swamp look like Boy Scouts. Oh yeah, no, the Mexican I mean, government's cor- corruption is is legendary. So um, that's that's really you know, and, D- David. I'm, I'm I think the, the wall is a good idea. We're we're gonna be running into a, a break here in a second, my friend. So I gotta I gotta leave it there for now. But thank you for calling in. And I wanted to say that the uh, the wall is a topic we're gonna talk about later on in the show. In fact, we have somebody who is part of a consortium. Uh, a company that's teaming up with some other companies to put together a proposal that's already under consideration uh, for the or in the process of consideration um, being considered that uh, would be a border that would build a border wall and put the tech in place and and also work with people on the physical barrier aspects of it. So that'll be later on in the show. We'll we'll get into that. Um, I I still haven't hit on. Uh, by the way, I promise you, we will not just do all this coverage on Trump. Although you look at the you look at the various news channels right now across the country, it's just everything is Trump, 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 Trump. I mean there's nothing else that is getting any attention right now, which is a shame. It's just not you know, this is politics as a soap opera instead of politics as a system intended to allow for the resolution of conflict for the pursuit of better government action or government inaction to benefit all of us. That's what really I'd like to think of as American politics. But right now, this is just gossip, soap opera, person to person undermining. I mean, this is this is the the White House version of Game of Thrones. It's all scheming and undermining and the media working with this guy and that guy trying to do who knows what. Um, We've got uh, Andy McCarthy of National Review joining up with us in a few minutes here to talk about all the, the legal so what of this. And uh, then we'll get into the the McMaster press conference from earlier today. And we'll talk about ISIS and a whole bunch of other stuff. And then we'll get into some fun stories later on the show, too, I promise. So a lot more to cover. And uh, please do check out BuckSexton.com. Also, you can call in at 844-900-BUCK. That is 844-900-2825. Uh, at any time during the show, we'd love to hear from you. And I think uh, we're going to transition into, well, like I said, we got Andy McCarthy, but then we'll get into some McMaster stuff. Uh, I think McMaster was able to really dampen the the fires of, of media hatred today with his press conference, at least able to take some of the sting out of the Trump-Russia disclosure allegations. But now with this Comey memo, whew, it's going to be a long 24 hours, my friends. Strap in. Stay with me. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. Everybody, we're very pleased to have our friend Annie McCarthy on the line. He is a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, a best-selling author and contributing editor at National Review. Andy, thanks for giving us a ring. Hey, Buck, how are you? Um, you know, some stuff going on out there, Andy. It's been yeah, quite a not, not a whole lot, not a whole it's lot. It's been quite a day. Uh, let's because I, I was talking last hour about the breaking news on this memo from Comey, and I'm gonna clearly want your perspective on that. But I haven't yet gotten much into the McMaster situation yet. I know you wrote about this in National Review, but here's what McMaster said early. This is the National Security Advisor earlier today. What the president discussed with the foreign minister was wholly appropriate to that conversation and is consistent with the routine sharing of information between the president and and any leaders with whom he's engaged. 
And, and U.S. received from an intelligence partner? I, I'm not going to be the one to confirm the, the confirm uh, that that sort of information that could that could jeopardize it could jeopardize our security. What did you think about the press conference today and just the, the whole fiasco, Andy? Well, I thought, Buck, that uh, that McMaster's answers were lawyerly. Um, you know, I, I think what it appears to have happened here is that uh, assuming there was a disclosure uh, and the president did seem to acknowledge himself today that uh, uh, that he had disclosed classified information, had that not been the case, he wouldn't have had to say that it was his right to do it. Uh, it clearly is the president's right to disclose whatever classified information he chooses to disclose, at least under American law. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think what happened is, at least the allegation, is that he dropped a detail, namely a, a location that might have enabled the uh, Russians, if they go to school on it, which, of course, they always do, uh, to figure out what the source or method uh, of the uh, intelligence uh, is that caused us to be able to know this business about the potential of uh, explosives hidden in laptops. And what McMaster came out and said was that uh, this was a normal uh, kind of conversation that the president has in this kind of, of setting and that he didn't communicate any methods or sources of information. And I think that begs the question of whether what he did commit or did, did uh, uh, reveal was proper to reveal, particularly if we got it from a foreign intelligence service on a promise that we wouldn't disclose it to anyone else and we didn't have permission to disclose it to anyone else. The president wasn't being accused in the newspaper accounts that I read of, of revealing methods and sources of information. He was being, it was being suggested that he had uh, revealed a piece of information that was supposed to be uh, not revealed, which could tip off another intelligence service to methods and sources. So, you know, I thought it was a carefully worded denial uh, and, I mean, Andy, you're 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 a former prosecutor, a former federal prosecutor for a couple of decades, right? Right. What does your gut tell you about this one? Do you, do you think he messed up or what? Yeah, I think he messed up. Yeah, I, I'm getting that sense from you, so I wanted to ask you: You think he messed up? Yeah, okay. I think, yeah, I think he I think he gave a detail he wasn't supposed to give, and what they've been scrambling to do is to say basically he didn't do something that was really really bad, and that it's not unusual for. Uh, you know, high level officials in diplomatic uh, exchanges to, uh, you know, I show you a little what I got and you show me a little what you got. You know, we don't know. Also, Buck, did, you know, maybe the Russians gave us information, too. I mean, that hasn't that hasn't come out in the coverage. Um, but it, it does sound like there was a piece of information he wasn't supposed to give out. and He gave it out. Now, if that's the case, though, what McMaster did today and McMaster does have a, an impeccable reputation um, in military and intelligence circles, as well as um, being known as a guy who will say what's on his mind. And, and in fact, there were reports in, in recent weeks about how he was kind of annoying Trump for speaking up on some stuff. If what if what you're saying, you know, and I know I asked you for your gut. You're not telling me that, you know, and, and no one knows who wasn't in that meeting right now. Um, but let, let's say that that's what happened, that Trump did mess up here. 
then what McMaster did today was what? Loyal or not so great? Well, you know, there's two sides to this story, Buck, and, and neither one of them is very flattering. I mean, I think Trump screwed up. And as you point out, we don't know, but that's uh, this is my instinct. Uh, but I also think what he screwed up about was something that, um, you know, could be damaging, but probably contained. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, let's compare what else happened here, uh, which is that here's a here's a bit of information that uh, there's a chance that ISIS would never have had. Right. But because it was reported the way that it was reported in the media, um, ISIS now has a lot more information than they would otherwise. Right. I, I want to actually address that soundbite really quickly, Andy, and have you respond to it. This is what National Security Advisor McMaster said about the media's role in all of this. All of you are very familiar with the threat from ISIS. All of you are very familiar with the territory it controls. If I stamp out my statement that I made yesterday. What I'm saying is really the premise of that article is false, that in any way the president had a conversation that was inappropriate or that resulted in any kind of lapse in, na in national security. And so I think the real issue, and, and I think what I'd like to see really debated more, is that our national security has been put at risk by those violating confidentiality and those releasing information uh, to the press that, that, uh, that, could, that could be used, uh, connected with other information available uh, to, to make American citizens and others more vulnerable. I mean, Andy, based on the reporting that I was reading today, uh, CNN, I think, the, you know, the New York Times, uh, a few outlets were claiming to be in possession of information that was so damaging that officials spent a long time with them, uh, pleading with them not to publish it. Well, well where, they weren't in the room with Russia. Where'd they get all that stuff? Yeah, well, that's that's exactly right. And you have to worry about, you know, number one, who's who's given out this information? Um, is it coming from people who are in the room? Uh, possible, but I doubt it. Is it coming from, you know, people who were briefed on what happened in the room? Likely. Uh, but, the, but the point is, and this goes to the question you asked me, Buck, about McMaster, um, he may feel, and he may be entirely right about this, that whatever the president did may be comparatively minor compared to the damage that was done by the way this was reported. And, you know, for all this business about – you know, we're, what we're looking out for here is what's best for the country. You know, sometimes people make mistakes and your choice is to to go public with them or to try to contain the damage. And, you know, to my mind, having been in this situation once or twice, uh, you know, what you try to do is contain the damage. And I don't know that, you know, these people who think that they serve the country today by putting this out, I, I just don't see it you know people do make mistakes in the handling of classified information yeah i've been saying that all the time that's why i said you know even, even with hillary even with hillary uh, uh andy you know uh, an email or two that had low-level classified in it that would i would have been like yeah that can that could happen actually to a to a a conscientious and decent person in, in the course of of their business but over a hundred is reckless right so so but the point right. here being that you know people do make mistakes but the mistake seems to have been compounded with the media or, or perhaps you know, a, a greatly exacerbated with the media going out and giving all this information. Andy, can we keep you through a break to talk about the Comey memo on the other side? we got a lot to talk yeah, about today. Do you have a few? Sure. Okay, yep. great. Uh, Andy McCarthy, everybody, uh, best-selling author, contributing editor at National Review. We are going to talk about this Comey memo claiming 
that Trump tried to shut down the investigation into Flynn and the Russia stuff. We'll hit that on the flip side. Stay with me. Be with us still. He's a former U.S. attorney, contributing editor at National Review, nationalreview.com. He's got a piece up right now, Intelligence Lapses and Double Standards. Uh, Andy, I wanted to get you on the breaking news from just the last couple hours here about the memo from Comey. What is going on here? Well, it looks like Comey had a meeting with the president and is said to have made notes after the meeting. Uh, the New York Times hasn't seen the notes, but evidently uh, people who were close to Comey at the FBI, uh, or at least one such person, has read them at least parts of the memo. Uh, and according to what the Times says, the memo that they haven't seen says um, President Trump uh, suggested to Comey uh, that he really hoped that he could let the Flynn investigation go. And that would, of course, be uh, Michael Flynn. As I understand that this is a conversation that happened kind of impromptu, but, you know, on the sidelines of another meeting, just Comey and the president present the day after uh, Flynn was basically fired or, or uh, you know, resigned under pressure. Um and that's what we know so far. We haven't heard from Comey about whether the story is true. The White House is saying uh, that the story is not true. I think, Buck, to go back to what we were just talking about, if the White House wants to put out statements that things aren't true, it would be helpful over the you know last weeks and months if it hadn't put out statements and then corrected the statements like five minutes later. Um, but for now, you know, we haven't heard from any of the principal players, but it would obviously be uh, something that's more serious than what we've had up until now, because the investigation of Flynn, unlike the so-called Russia investigation, uh, is evidently a criminal investigation. So there will be an allegation that the president was pressuring the FBI uh, to uh, drop the case against Flynn. Now, Andy, you worked in a U.S. attorney's office for a long time. How, let, let's just, again, for the purposes of discussion, everyone, White House says it's not true. We don't know yet. But let's just assume that, that the memo is legit and the wording is accurate and that's what was said. How big a deal is this? Well, I think it's it's a big deal, but it's largely, uh, you know, I hate to keep hitting the same issue, Buck, but it's hard, It's largely a partisan uh, big deal. And the reason I say that is, you know, it's just going back in time. On April 10th, 2016, President Obama publicly stated that Clinton, Hillary Clinton had shown carelessness in using a private server to handle classified information, but insisted that she had no intent to endanger national security. Three months later, Comey announced that they weren't bringing charges because although Mrs. Clinton had shown carelessness in using a private email server to handle classified information, he insisted that she had no intent to, to uh, endanger national security. So, you know, we have a situation where Obama did precisely what Trump is accused of doing. That is, he publicly let his uh, subordinates know that he didn't want this person charged. And lo and behold, three months later, they not only didn't charge her despite a lot of evidence, but they they virtually quoted what he said in his public statement on April 10th. And I've seen some people that are saying, well, Trump only, you know, he said, I hope and it was kind of offhand. You know, you were a prosecutor. Is there is there some leeway for like I was just kind of you know I was just kind of talking. I didn't. I, it wasn't a direct order. I didn't follow up on it. I mean, is that is that a way one could go here with this Trump situation? 
not, not to be a weasel buck, but as you pointed out at the beginning, we really don't know exactly what was said, and we don't know if the, the Times has mined like one statement that, that Trump made in a greater uh, conversation that he and Comey had. But let's just, to play it out, let's say Trump said to Comey, now look, you do whatever you think is right, and I'm not going to complain about it one way or the other. But I think Flynn's a good guy, and I really hope that you, know, you, you, you end up finding nothing. Um, that would not be good, but the broader context would be would enable Trump to argue that, you know, he made clear to Comey that he was speaking about his regard for Flynn and he was not putting any pressure on the FBI to come out a certain way. And although he could have ordered the FBI to close the investigation down, he didn't. So the context does the context matters. I think it matters a lot. Okay, so we've we've got to see more of this. what I, if I could, I would say it's it's not good, but you know it's, it's less it's, bad. It's like, <laughs> right. Yes, right, right. It's less bad. What did you think about? I you know I didn't get a chance to ask you about this. I know it's a little late in the in the in the news game for this, but I just the, the whole the, the Comey firing. Uh, you know, you were a guy who was under the aegis of the DOJ. It was your employer. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I feel very badly about it because the you know he's someone I've known and admired for. 30 years. Uh, I think the president had a basis to do it, whether you decide that's a firing offense or not. Uh, he clearly went outside the rules. It's pained me to, to be critical about him for that. But, you know, th- it is what it is. If he had, uh, you know, if he hadn't broken the rules in July by speaking publicly about an investigation, which law enforcement doesn't do, he wouldn't have had anything to correct in October. And, you know, we wouldn't have been in he wouldn't have been in the mess he found himself in. So, you know, there was clearly a basis for it. I hoped it wouldn't happen, but I'm not surprised it did. Do you have any thoughts on who should replace him or, uh, you know, who you think would be the, the best choice for FBI director? Well, I would want someone like Ray Kelly, especially if the someone like Ray Kelly was Ray Kelly. Um, that would be that would be my preference. You know, somebody who had instant credibility and had exhibited the ability to run uh you know, bigger organizations than the FBI, actually, um, and, and run them really well. And, you know, again, be somebody who could come in and steady the ship. I think much the way, for example, that Judge Mukasey came in and steadied the ship at the Justice Department when it was reeling a little bit back in 2007. Do you think we're in a whole new territory here with the Trump administration? We're speaking to Andy McCarthy, by the way, everybody, of National Review. Andy, are, are, are we in a, a new and more difficult place now, or in a couple of days are we going to be back to talking about infrastructure projects and building a wall? Well, I, who's had time to talk about infrastructure projects and building a wall, right? I mean, this keeps coming at us fast and furious. I think we are in a different place, Buck, because we have somebody who is a very different kind of president who seems to uh, you know, tilt against every convention of Washington. And we really have even, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember Watergate. I was, I was a teenager, but I still remember it. I really have not seen open warfare uh, on, especially a new presidency uh, like this in the, in the media. And, you know, you can argue if you're a, especially if you're a Trump detractor that, you know, some of it's justified. The president brings a lot of it on himself. There's no question that he does some uh, peculiar things but i I mean man it's it really is like the the open hostility and the pressure that are that is on democrats 
to resist everything Trump wants to do, to not give him his confirmations, to basically not let him govern, so that from out of the box they've been trying to strangle this presidency between the media and the Democrats in its infancy. Yeah, I've never seen anything quite like that before. I, I certainly haven't either, Andy. We'll we'll see where all this goes. Uh, Andy, uh, so much appreciate you joining us and, and making a little extra time as well, especially given what's going on. Uh, your perspective is invaluable. Uh, Andy McCarthy, everybody, former U.S. attorney, uh, contributing editor at National Review. He's got a piece up right now. It's in the banner, main piece up on nationalreview.com, intelligence lapses and double standards. Andy, thank you so much. Thanks, bro. Great to talk to you. You too. Whew. Guys, man, this is... Uh... It's been a rough, it's been a rough forty eight hours for the Trump team. Let's just be honest about it. And it does sound like maybe and I and I wanted to I wanted to get Andy on this one because he always has a very good sense of of what's between the lines and and you know what's real and what's not. Uh, and it looks like maybe Trump did make a bit of a blunder in that Russia interview. Maybe I'm not saying definitely, but there are certainly some. Uh, data points you could stack. Now, has that been exaggerated? Yes, I think that I think the the scale of the blunder was probably greatly exaggerated. But you know, he's they they've got to have discipline. Um, you know, he's got swagger, he's got message, he's got, and he's a fighter. But you know, I think Trump these days needs to be more of a more of a fighter. You know, more of a boxer and less of a puncher. You know, I, I think that he's used to just throwing haymakers and getting the desired result against the media, against political opponents. But right now, he, he's in a war of attrition. It's different. It's a different kind of fight. And uh, he needs to be picking his picking his uh, punches and, you know, avoiding things like this where he's getting one. He's getting hit right on the chin with this one. This is tough. Um, also, he doesn't he doesn't have a background in. Handling classified information in uh, the ethics of being a, a public official. And I know that, you know, that I, probably a lot of people would yell at me for saying this, but the one thing you do know, at least with, with career politicians, is that they're aware of what their ethical constraints are. That doesn't mean it stops them. I mean, look at the Clintons, right? And for some of them, it just means that they're more adept at trying to get around them. And with the Clintons, they even get caught. It doesn't seem to matter. But could Trump have maybe blundered into some stuff here because he didn't know? Um, because he figured he could just say that to Comey or he could say that to the Russians and it, it you know, it's not a big deal? Maybe. Maybe. Um, it's not the end of the world, but it's not great last 24 hours. Uh, we'll hit a quick break, team. We'll be right back. He spreads freedom. Because freedom's not going to spread itself. Buck Sexton is back. Calls are coming in and the lines are lit, my friends. We got phone calls bouncing around in here like crazy, like drunk fraternity brothers in a bouncy castle. Lines are bouncing. Uh, let's take them. Um, Matt, we got to Timothy in Georgia. What's going on, Timothy? Hey, Buck. Hey, buddy. Love you, man. Thank you, sir. Um, you too. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Did Comey not say that they did not interview Anthony Weiner in Congress, in front of Congress. Uh, I, I think that's correct. Yeah, Anthony Weiner's got other problems. That That's exactly what Comey said, that Anthony Weiner had other criminal issues going on. So my question is, is that all that needs to be going on in one person's life? They got other criminal issues, and the FBI goes, well, we can't interview him. He's got a speeding ticket he's got to take care of. 
well, you see where I'm going? I'm no yeah, I mean, that, you, cl- clearly that's not true, right? I mean, if you, you know, it's not like they're like, well, you were you were trafficking firearms, but also there's that drug thing. We're going to focus on the, you know, on the, uh, the the kilos of of heroin we found in your trunk instead. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that that's what they were saying. Um, I, I don't know what the status of um, the investigation was or is into uh, what's his name, Anthony Weiner. With regard to the Hillary emails and all that, I, I guess the FBI decided uh, that there's really nothing they needed to ask him. But uh, yeah, well, Comey, Comey decided that. That's right. But Comey did decide. Call, Tim, you know, you're you're getting but, one of the big problems here, which is that we, we're we are losing faith in institutions in this country, and have been for some time as a result of of this election and the current political fight. Not not just the media, which I mean, now I don't even know. I feel like I I open up the New York Times. They tell me what the weather's supposed to be, and I'm like, well, that's not accurate. <laughs> you know I mean, it's really hard to take them seriously on some of this stuff. Exactly, but the the reason why I called was that that just hit me when you were talking to your guest. Um, the 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 media is definitely steering the narrative. I'm an average voter, and I voted for Trump. I'm an average American. I don't care about what. Trump said to the Russians, I care about where's my tax cut. I care about where's the health care. I care about things that we voted for. And everybody, it's like CNN and the left-wing media, whatever they throw out, it's never going to end. Are we going to spend the next four years responding and reacting to what they put out, fake news or not, you know? I don't care about that. I care about us moving forward and 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 getting to the problems of the American people and why Trump is there. Well, we Tim, I, I agree there. with a lot of that. I, I would say that I only care about the the media food fight uh, insofar as it prevents national discussion and the administration's movement on those on those other issues. Uh, you know, I, I want to hold the administration's feet to the fire on on uh, coming through on promises that were made during the campaign. I don't want to sit here and parse what we know and don't know about a memo from Comey and Trump. And, you know, this is not this is not productive for the country. It's not worthwhile. But if we don't push back on the narrative, uh, the political pressure on members of Congress, you know, it could reach a point where they just decide, you know what, um, you know, we, we can't handle this anymore. Trump's it theoretically could look at reach a point with Clinton where he got impeached. You know, you you could have members of the House uh, decide that they're just not going to deal with this anymore, and and then where are we, right? Yep, so yep, you know yep, that that's yep, why you know, I, I agree with you. I, I don't want to be in this fight, but at some point, you know, y- y- the enemy gets a vote. Right? I mean, the Democrats here, well, the political talk, opposition, they get a vote. Here's some fake news for you. Let, let's talk term limits. <laughs> let's talk about term term limits and see what kind of explosion happens in Washington. Oh, well, they, they will they will hate so. term limits, of course. Timothy in Georgia, great to talk to you, man. Thank you for calling Thank in. You. Shields high. Um, we've got uh, Scott in Florida, WFLF. Hey, Scott. Hey, Buck. We love your show down here, man. We're loving our president. Um, Thank you, man, sir. The media's, gotten so, the, the media's gotten so bad, man. We're just disgusting, and you can't even really listen to it anymore. And the Congress is doing nothing. It's just one investigation after another. This is silly. And, uh, you know, the only thing Republicans have to fear in this next election is being primaried by real Republicans. Trump's going to have to put a coalition together like they do in Europe. 
he's going to have to get out here and get some Trump Republicans elected. We'll see. Right right now, I think Trump has got his own problems, but uh, we'll see where we are in the, in the midterms. Um, I, I don't know right. why it is that we let Republicans in the Congress get away with so much uh, ineptitude and inaction. You know, they're, they, 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 they can't they can't get stuff done. They don't get stuff done. And, you know, the, you got so many Democrats running around making the case all the time for how terrible Trump is from the Congress. You, you'll notice not a lot of Republicans standing up, standing up to defend this administration and, and to focus, Scott, on the issues that matter to the American public, or at least the American public that voted for Trump. We want our president to go forward with his agenda and do what he said he would do and be not hampered by these people. We'll see. Thanks, bud. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, sir. Mark in Mississippi, WBUV. Hey, Mark. Hey, Bo. How you doing? I'm all right. I'm, you know, it's it's been a busy day or so. Yeah. Hey, as I listened to you yesterday, I'm I'm on my work. I called in before and uh, promoting the coast here, and I was wondering if you uh, had uh, taken your trip down here yet. Not yet, man. I'm looking forward to it, though. I I, I love all my Mississippi callers and listeners. I appreciate them supporting the show so much. Yeah, I, I hear them every now and then. So uh, go Mississippi. They're getting involved. Um, I, my comment was, and I, I guess I'm falling in line with the previous two callers, it's just it's just totally frustrating to me that um, um, – that we're getting sidetracked on on all this stuff, and we don't have a Congress that's sticking up uh, sticking up for him. Because I fall in the camp, I'm wanting him to uh, succeed and and do the things that he promised. And uh, I just, I, you know, we've gone to uh, we got to have one investigation out of it after another, but yet uh, we got. Billions of dollars missing from the State Department, an Iran deal, and and uh, uranium sold to Russia, and we don't have any investigations into that. And uh, it just really gets frustrating. But to get a comment from you is um, it, it just it really kind of ticks me off. We have a um, a Russian uh, ambassador or. Uh, whoever that comes to meet Trump, and I guess my issue is this guy's going to travel thousands of miles to meet the U.S. president, and I guess all they can talk about is how your how's your family, how's your kids, hi, hello. I mean, to get to I, well, they're they're supposed to have more <laughs> a more substantive exchange than that, Mark. But uh, you know, we I know we it, man, we will find. I, I I hear you, man. I hear you, Mark. I and I do appreciate you calling in. Thank you, sir. Um, one thing I wanted to note: we got the Washington Post's Karen Tumulty on that whole exchange with the Russians. This is what the previous caller made me think of this. Um, th- let's play this. Some information has been withheld by the Washington Post. Yes, yes. Our reporters have a lot more details that we are not publishing in the interest of, of national security and, you know, protecting people who might otherwise be compromised. Uh, I wonder if we're going to see more of that. Maybe today they're protecting national security, but tomorrow there's another little detail just to just to stir the pot. Drip, 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 my friends. The leak will uh, continue on, the leaking. Um, 
Maggie in Mississippi. We got a Mississippi representing today in the Freedom Hunt. Maggie in Mississippi, good to have you. Hey, Buck. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for calling in. Oh, thank you for taking my call. Um, so my question to you is, when we get a new FBI director, um, do you think he'll reopen the investigation on this Hillary Clinton and end up going through with what Trump wanted to do in the beginning is actually put her in prison? You know, that's a very interesting question, Maggie. I think the answer is no. But let me but let me work through that a little bit here. Uh, the statute of limitations for what Hillary did would not have passed. So it's not like it's beyond prosecution. And the I, I do not believe that there ha- there was certainly not a trial, so no double jeopardy applies. And there, I don't think, was even any sort of a deferred prosecution agreement or anything like that, right? I, I was somebody who was actually very intrigued by the theory that Obama um, could have or should have pardoned Hillary specifically because of this. But then you get into... According to what I was told or what I read, that because she wasn't ever formally charged, well, that's what I'm saying here. Pardon her. Yeah, that, that, that's what I'm saying is that is that you know Obama really could have stepped in and pardoned her, but that would have been so politically damaging before the election that he would have to pardon her, and it would be an admission that what she did was criminal. That he, but that as a result of him not doing that, she is still theoretically subject to legal jeopardy here. But I will say this. I do not believe that Trump is willing. I do not believe that Trump is willing to, um, or I should say that any FBI director that he brings in would be willing to re, uh, well, to not reinvestigate, but to look at that again and come to a different decision. It would be too politically toxic. Um, That's just my, now I'm not basing that. That's my analysis. That's my estimation of the situation I, I could be wrong, and and legally speaking, there's nothing to stop the next FBI director from bringing the case. But you know, you, now you get into a well, one FBI director says there no one would, no one should bring charges. Another FBI director recommends charges. Um, that puts us in a precarious position. You know what I mean, Maggie? I, I don't think they'll do it. I, I will tell you this: I would bet but against the them doing was, it. The whole thing with Comey. The whole thing with well, Comey we though, is he was he was so politically cited it was it, it was unbelievable yeah i mean he he stepped out he he was clearly political i look it's a, it's a tough maggie thank you for calling in shield tie it, it was a tough call i'm not going to pretend that it wasn't um or that it's not that you know going forward somebody else re- now to those of you who are wondering the 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 uh comparable cases for a, you know the Hillary email situation, I mean, she she probably look at General Petraeus. I mean, you're probably not looking at any prison time, even if they did. Uh, pro- and I know somebody's like, oh, "Buck, the Espionage Act." I know, but if you look at the way these cases tend to be prosecuted, um, that would be, uh, you know, the, she would probably take some sort of agreement, and they would look at other cases of uh, you know classified uh, violations, and they would say, well. You know, if so and so was doing this intentionally and willfully and egregiously, uh, you know, like you look at somebody like uh, Chelsea Manning and served, you know, six years for trying to release as much classified on purpose as is possible, 
Yeah, I mean, Hillary would probably for a fraction of that and with the idea that it might not be, you know, that it, it wasn't intentional in the same way or, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm now getting down the rabbit hole of, of theory here quite a bit. But, um, you know, I don't think she's going to I don't think she's going to prison anybody, everybody. Uh, now, given that you'd have a new attorney general and a new FBI director and a new policy on federal sentencing, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm making a lot of I'm sticking my uh, sticking my head out the window on this one and, and screaming down the street. And I could be way I could be way off. So we will see. That's the most that I guess I can be sure of right now. Uh Taking a quick break here, team. Flip side, we will hit more on. Uh, I want to talk a bit about this Seth Rich DNC conspiracy theory that's out there because there was news breaking on that today. Um, so we will get into that. I'll be right back. So the report on Fox News was uh, getting a lot of attention earlier today. Family, and then there was an update to it. Family of slain DNC staffer Seth Rich blast detective over report of WikiLeaks link. So here's here's what the piece says now. The, the family of Democratic National Committee staffer who was gunned down on July 10th on a Washington, uh, D.C. street blasted reports that he was the source of emails leaked to WikiLeaks. Rod Wheeler, a retired Washington homicide detective and Fox News contributor investigating the case on behalf of the Rich family, made the WikiLeaks claim, which was corroborated by a federal investigator who spoke to Fox News. Um, but a spokesman for for Rich's family said Wheeler was not authorized to speak for the family and called assertions that Seth Rich sent emails to WikiLeaks unsubstantiated. I I have not been following this uh, very closely. We did ask for Rod Wheeler, the former D.C. homicide investigator, who is the uh, private investigator at, attached to this and who's been um, the source for this information. Um, I uh, We asked him to come on the show today. We were unable to get through but we'll keep trying um so there's some stuff about this case that certainly raises uh, eyebrows um but you know we, we need an answer as to whether there was a seth reach a seth rich wikileaks connection or not that will that will tell us a lot i still think that this is a very tragic and uh, random act of Violence on the streets of D.C., which, as somebody who lived in D.C. for years, I can tell you, it, it happens there, and it comes—it can come out of nowhere. All of a sudden, you are in a very uh, dangerous situation. Doesn't matter what neighborhood of D.C. you're in, D.C. is uh, is a rough town. Can be a rough town. I don't just mean the politics; I mean the crime. Um, so I still don't think that we can make much more of this than uh, where we are right now. But we we do we should have some questions answered here. Um, we should have a hard and fast answer as to whether or not there was some contact between uh, WikiLeaks and Seth Rich. You know, you know, I, I'm very dubious about WikiLeaks in general. I, I don't run around saying, "Oh, if WikiLeaks says, you know, then we should." No, no, no. Um, but we'll, we'll. I'll keep an eye on this one. I've had callers ask me about this, and I tend not to spend a lot of time on this story because I still think it's. It's a conspiracy, an interesting one, but not one for which there's enough evidence to move beyond the conspiracy theory phase. Um, but I, I want to hear from this detective and why, former detective and uh, Rod Wheeler, and why he thinks that uh, this is, we need more information here. Uh, Ray in Florida. Welcome to the Freedom Hub, my friend. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, I, I think when I was talking to the call screen, you were probably talking about the same thing, but... Uh... 
this the post still has more information available and not releasing, but this stuff might be a little more priority. Isn't there any way they can just stick the uh, FBI on them if they start breaking loose the reds for the wrong stuff? <laughs> no, because the, the press has... The way the government functions is though this is not a matter of law, this is just a matter of government policy, is that the press can publish anything it wants about any classified it wants without repercussions. That's the, that's the current state of... It's not the state of the law, it is the state of how the government chooses to enforce the law, which are two different things. Um, but yeah, the press can do whatever it wants on this stuff. That's, that's unfortunately where... Uh, well... You know, then people say, Buck, what about real whistleblowing and speaking truth to power? And I I get all that, and that's all real and legit. But, you know, the lines that we currently draw are, well, they're they're fuzzy. And they're not necessarily based on what's ethical. They're just based on what's expedient, I think, for the government, which has to draw a line somewhere. Hope that's an answer, Ray. You you raise an interesting question, but uh, that's that's where I am on it for now. Everyone else who's uh, on hold, thank you for... Being patient with me, I know we got a, a lot of lines lit up here. Um, I got to go into a break coming up here. Uh, Want to talk to you a bit about the uh, latest on the campaign against the Islamic State. Then we'll talk about building a wall, what it really entails, and what status uh, we can currently say the whole wall building effort at our southern border is at right now. And then we got Emily Zanotti from Heat Street joining with some uh, other odds and ends stories from the day that you'll want to hear about. That. Uh, are not part of this whole Trump-Russian nonsense. Big third hour, coming up. Buck Sexton with America Now. We are bold. The Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Welcome back, team. I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about what's going on in the fight against uh, the Islamic State. Uh, First of all, with uh, ISIS on the brink of uh, total defeat in Mosul, reporting here by uh, Fox News, we should take a moment to realize that this is uh, something to be celebrated. Uh, This is progress in the fight against, important progress in the fight against ISIS. And I think that uh, given how long it's taken to get to this point and uh, the stakes in this fight we should be spending or the media should be uh, devoting more of its energy to this and perhaps a little less to Donald Trump uh, is you know working on behalf of Russia or Donald Trump is disclosing classified all, all the stuff I, I just can't keep going there today but the Islamic State is uh, shrinking uh, rapidly and the Islamic State is in a series of contractions right now. And this is all to the good. But I also think that we should uh, note that the Islamic State has done a tremendous amount of damage and that this is going to be a very long-term project uh, in order to try and, well, build stable institutions, particularly you know, military and political institutions in Iraq, Uh, And then the Syria problem does not go away here. Syria will continue to be a mess even after ISIS loses control of Raqqa. So uh, the destruction of ISIS in Mosul, the largest Sunni Arab majority city in Iraq, uh, a city of tremendous geographic and and historic importance uh, to 
Iraq, but that the Islamic State will be driven out of there shortly here. This is actually, as, as Fox reports, the last, quote, the last of the Islamic State militants remaining in the Iraqi city of Mosul were completely surrounded and on the brink of total defeat, a spokesman for the U.S. coalition said Tuesday. Iraqi forces have reduced the amount of territory held by ISIS in the city to around 129 square miles. And the recent advancement uh, in Mosul comes after Brett McGurk, a special presidential envoy for the coalition against ISIS, said that the fight against the militants was entering its final stages. Uh, So this is uh, absolutely um, something that we should all uh, view as significant in this effort to destroy uh, what has been, at least in jihadist circles, called the caliphate uh, for years now. Uh, It's going to take some more more fighting on the Syrian side and and the complexities. uh, So so you have two things that will happen, right? Once the once the Islamic State is kicked out of Mosul and no longer can hold territory in Nineveh province, the province where you can find the Iraqi city of Mosul, uh, once they're out of Nineveh, Nineveh borders Syria. Um, it's the province to the north of Anbar, which is uh, very well known because of cities like Fallujah and Ramadi, where the U.S. coalition had to do a tremendous amount of fighting uh, during the Bush administration. Um, but once they're out, then it becomes a question of stability, enduring institutions. Uh, can you keep a hold on sectarianism? Can you prevent the different groups that are all jockeying for power in Iraq, the Kurds, who are uh, Muslim non-Arabs, uh, the Sunni Arabs and the uh, Shia Arabs, who are the majority in Iraq and who have come into a much greater power and prominence after the downfall of Saddam Hussein, who was a Sunni Arab uh, from Tikrit, uh, which is north of Baghdad. Um, also, uh, the the hometown of Saladin, for you crusade historians out there, uh, Saladin was a Kurd uh, from, well, it's Saladin province now, so you can imagine. So they, they clearly uh, claim him as a, uh, a, a famous resident, former resident of the area. Um, and Tikrit is the city where he's uh, supposedly to, uh, had been born. So th- things are going well against the Islamic State in Iraq. Um, in Syria, it's more of a mixed picture in that you still have a totalitarian genocidal regime uh, with the Assad regime, even if you're able to completely eradicate ISIS, which uh, we are a ways from that being the reality. Uh, and you also have the Turkish consideration here because the Turks, this is a little review of what we talked about before on the show, but in Syria right now, in fighting against ISIS, you have Kurdish, again, same ethnic group, but this time on the Syrian side of the border, uh, Kurdish YPG militia that the U.S. is working with and using as a proxy on the ground in the fight against the Islamic State, but the Turks are concerned about this Kurdish group that they feel is just a variant of the PKK, a terrorist group, a separatist group. It's kind of a Marxist separatist group that wants autonomy for Kurdish peoples and a Kurdish state uh, inside of of Turkey and and on Turkey's border. Uh, So the the Turks are a concern here, or they are concerned. And I know that uh, President Trump uh, met with 
Erdogan today and said that they had a, a good and productive meeting. The Turks are a very important ally. They're a NATO country. They are the gateway for the migrants trying to leave uh, the Middle East for Europe and, and North Africa sometimes as well, even uh, make their way into Turkey and then try to make their way into Greece and from there continue on. Um, but we should keep in mind that even while it seems right now there's a template for destroying ISIS in Syria and there is progress being made there, uh, we are also learning uh, new information about the extent of the atrocities committed by uh, Syrian President Bashar uh, al-Assad. This is from uh, NPR. The U.S. State Department laid out a new case against Syrian President Bashar al-Assad's regime on Monday. Not only has the Syrian government committed mass atrocities at its military prison complex outside Damascus, but for years it has also added to the structure in order to burn and secretly dispose of thousands of its victims' remains. Beginning in 2013, the Syrian regime modified a building within the uh, Sadnaya complex to support what we believe is a crematorium. This is the acting assistant secretary for Near East Affairs. He told reporters this at a special media briefing circulating satellite photographs that he says depicts the crematorium. So when we refer to the Assad regime as genocidal, it's not just a question of the vast numbers of those killed inside of Syria, because that's been long established. Uh, You're looking at over a half a million dead in the Syrian civil war so far, but also this Ba'athist autocracy. Remember, Assad is... It's a kleptocracy. Uh, they, they have stolen from the Syrian people to become incredibly wealthy, but the Assad regime is really the Assad family and its cronies and enablers, and they have put in place the machinery of, uh, of murder uh, that we've seen in, in other genocidal regimes as well. Uh, they are using industrial crematorium uh, for uh, the purposes of trying to hide the the extent of their atrocities. So they are murdering prisoners and they are burning them and then uh, ridding themselves of the ashes afterwards. This is uh, a problem that will be with us for quite some time. Uh, The Assad regime, I don't think, is going anywhere. And it is a good thing that we have not had the deployment of U.S. troops uh, into the region Um, in, in large numbers. Obviously, we have... Some U.S. troops in Iraq and there are reports of uh, U.S. special forces who are working with the YPG in Syria. But we haven't made Syria entirely our problem, but that doesn't mean that there won't be problems that come from this uh, horrific conflict in Syria. We've seen this in other instances where there's a conflict in the Middle East that we do manage to largely stay out of, although in this case we have an air campaign, we have uh, we have a proxy ground force that we are um, working with and, and providing supplies to. So we are certainly not entirely bystanders, but the after effects of what's happened in Syria, both with the refugees as well as the spread of ISIS ideology and jihadism, uh, that's going to be with us for a long time. That's not going away anytime soon. And so that's why we have Trump traveling to the Middle East, meeting with our partners and this administration trying to shore up those alliances and make it clear that we do have enduring allegiances to uh, friends in the region that we will make sure we honor and, and build upon, it's going to be essential. So the, the fight against ISIS on the ground going uh, well in Iraq, going well but not quite as far along in 
Syria. Uh, I want to just keep an eye on these things, and uh, we will continue to follow it. Team, going to hit a quick break here. We'll be back in just a few. All right, everybody, welcome back. We've been talking about a wall here on the show for quite a while. We know that in this most recent uh, budget bill that went through, the continued funding of the government did not include any new wall funding. There was so there was some money that we're told will be applied to the existing portions of the wall. But uh, where does it stand with actually building the whole wall, the new parts of the wall, and making this thing work and make it secure? Well, we're now joined by Dennis O'Leary. He is the founder and CEO of Dark Pulse Technology, which is a Scottsdale-based company that is in the second round of bids to build President uh, President Donald Trump's U.S.-Mexico border wall. Dennis, thank you so much for calling in. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Okay. Uh, First of all, tell us where where you are in the process here, because people will just want to know that the government is serious and is talking to folks like you about the actual construction of a border wall. Yeah, um, well, um, I would guess I would have to say we're, we're two thirds there, um, meaning we're, we just entered phase two. Uh, that phase uh, includes a, a more detailed description of both the wall and the costs associated uh, with construction, and that's due on May the 30th. Uh, and we're supposed to hear back at that point if we uh, got to the next round, which would include uh, the building of a prototype. Now, that would, you say a prototype, you, you would deal with the, the tech part of the wall, but not actually the, the brick-and-mortar construction, or do you do both? Or to tell us about what your company, uh, Dark Pulse Technologies, does and how it applies to border security. Yeah, so um, that's exactly right. We're, our core competency is the technology. Uh, when we first applied uh, to be a vendor or contractor for the wall project, uh, we actually created a team, and uh, with that team, Uh, We have uh, a series of other companies uh, that bring their core competency, which includes the construction of uh, physical barriers or, more importantly, uh, concrete construction. So you're part of what would be then a wall-building coalition of sorts. Uh, Yeah, exactly. That's right. So, and and you're you're two-thirds of the way through the process. So this is, I just think this is interesting. Well, it's interesting on a couple levels. One, clearly the government is serious about this, or the, the Trump administration is is pricing this out, and, and they're looking like they, they'd like to be in a position to move forward on all this. But t- tell us, can you, to the extent you can, uh, about what technology would do at the border. You know, people think of this, and, and I know there are uh, arguments on both sides. From some, you'll hear a lot more about how, no, we really need a physical barrier. From others, say, well, in some places, it will be more of an electronic technology barrier. And then there are other people who say, well, actually, it has to be both. I'm assuming for it to be effective, it has to be both. But talk to us about the technology piece, if you would. Yeah, sure. So um, we've historically uh, worked in oil and gas uh, pipeline monitoring or structural health monitoring for uh, things like pipe wall thickness, corrosion, uh, mostly leak detection on pipelines. But the technologies can be applied into several other areas. One, um, you know, includes... uh, you know, tunnel detection, actually active tunnel detection. So that's really the aspect that we bring to the to the wall project. And just to your point uh, about, uh, you know, is it a physical barrier, is it a technology, I, I'm a proponent of, you know, a layered solution. And I say that because I agree that we need a physical barrier because then you're looking at an enforcement standpoint, the amount of manpower 
uh, that you would need to actually do all these apprehensions. So the physical barrier kind of helps alleviate that. But then on the other side, uh, I believe we should have what I'm calling a smart wall, which is, you know, physical barrier with some sort of technologies attached to it that make the barrier more effective instead of it, you know, just sitting out in the middle of a desert. And for those who say, well, a wall won't be effective because you show me a a 20-foot wall, I'll show you a 21-foot ladder, that's where the electronic detection aspect comes in, right? So a, a barrier, the physical barrier is, in a sense, layer one of security. Layer two would be, well, if you try to go over or under the wall, that's where you folks at Dark Pulse come in and you can notify Border Patrol and, and whatever federal authorities need to be notified of that, uh, of that attempt to cross the, cross the fence. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, in fact, we, we're using, uh, we're coining the phrase, you know, the, the wall is the sensor. And, and by installing our sensors inside the, the physical barrier itself, uh, alongside, you know, either side, whether the U.S. Uh, border side or the Mexico border side, and then also underneath the border, you know, effectively, that barrier is a smart barrier. So if anyone approaches, tries to climb it, cut through it, or tunnel underneath it, uh, you know, Customs Border Patrol, they're going to know immediately. How long would it take, based on this group that you're with, if, if you got fully funded this fall, let's just say that, let's assume that that happens, let's assume the government uh, has the request, for whatever your budget is, um, the, the government has a request that can get you started and going, what's the estimate for how long it would take to create this smart wall? Um, that, that's the thing we're actually working on right now, and that, that's part of phase two. Now, phase two is uh, to establish a timeline and a cost. And um, I could say those are interrelated. So, if it, you know, as the timeline shortens, the cost, you know, has to go up because you're looking at uh, us having to hire more people, move a lot quicker. Uh, so it's a little bit hard to nail down, um, you know, how long it would take or what the, the final cost would be. We need at least one of those components to be given to us. Either it's the budget or what's the timeline, and, and those are interrelated. And to those who say that a, a border wall is not possible to be built along our southern border, do, do you have a response to that, or is that not something you weigh in on? Um, well, I mean, it, there's already uh, border walls um, built along the southern border. It's, you know, I think President Bush uh, implemented the uh, uh, Safe Border Programs, I believe it was called, and uh, you know, there's active building of border fencing and walls, you know, as we speak. So. Uh, the critics that are saying that, you know, this is sort of a pipe dream uh, for the president, you know, I say no. Um, it's already being done. Um, I think it's just uh, leading towards a more coordinated effort. Um, and, um, I, you know, personally, I like where it's going. So, And when do you think you'll know if uh, if your your group, your consortium, is in fact chosen to build the southern border, the, the, the Great Wall of Trump, as people have been calling it? Right. Um, Again, we have until May the 30th to submit our second proposal, um, and the estimate on on a response is the middle of June. Uh, So I I would imagine sometimes between middle of uh, June and late June, and then uh, we hope to begin construction of at least a prototype in July. Dennis O'Leary, founder and CEO of Dark Pulse Technologies, thank you so much for uh, lending your expertise, sir. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And uh, team, I just wanted to get into the the side of policy and progress and uh, what the agenda is supposed to be. We, we shouldn't have to sit here, and I don't mean just mean here in the Freedom Hut, I, just, I mean across the country. We shouldn't be forced to squabble over what's going on with Trump, what the latest thing is that he said, that he tweeted about. It's just 
such a distraction. Um, and some of it maybe is uh, more self-inflicted than it should be from the administration recently, but that's all greatly amplified by the media's predisposition to take everything that Trump does and make it into a either a national crisis or a national scandal. I should say everything that Trump says, not even what he does. This administration hasn't gotten anywhere uh, near the, you know, mission accomplished banner yet on on its agenda items, on any of its major agenda items, but by forcing us all to play defense, uh, which is happening more than I think a lot of us anticipated that it would, just based on the ferocity uh, of the media response, as well as the willingness to be uh, really openly dishonest players in all this. I'm sure you, you've seen the watch the headline from the Washington Post yesterday, uh, or the headline about the headline, if you will. The Washington Post newsroom was cheering when there were so many. They they had the most clicks, I think, in the website's history, or the most clicks in a long time, whatever it was, uh, on the Trump spilling secrets to Russia story. And I, I know that the response to this is, oh, well, it's just about clicks. It's the business model. I, anybody who's going to tell me that there wasn't a little extra excitement in that newsroom because of a news story that was so clearly damaging to the, not just the administration's reputation, to, to the president's reputation. He spreads freedom. Because freedom's not going to spread itself. Buck Sexton is back. All right, everybody, welcome back. Take a deep breath and get excited. Our friend Emily Zanotti is on the line now. She's the political editor at Heat Street, and she is starting the matriarchy. Forget about the patriarchy. <laughs> What's going on, Emily? <laughs> Not a whole lot. <laughs> I just feel like you're, you're my special um, progressive verbiage correspondent. Like, you understand the terminology, so that's good. Right. <laughs> so, and you also, sure. you, 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 refu- you refuse to... Embrace, for example, that Mother's Day is uh, offensive because it's it's binary. Right. It's offensive to people who are not gender binary because not all mothers are ladies and not all ladies are mothers or something. Yeah, I wish we could have had you on that one yesterday because it was uh, it was quite a doozy to see the people were actually pushing that out there. But we got a lot of new stuff today. Uh, for example, tell me about the millionaire who tells millennials who want to get rich to give up avocado toast. What's going on? Right. So there's an Australian millennial. He's about 34 years old. He's one of the top real estate investors in Australia. And he decided to give advice to millennials and said, if you want to get rich, if you want to own a home, you have to give up avocado toast. Well, it turns out that not all millennials are really eating avocado toast. I mean, I get his point. Like, you should not be going out for lattes and going out to dinner all the time and having all these extensive expenditures that you don't need. But um, he got a lot of slack on social media because it turns out you have to eat a lot of avocado toast to afford a home. You know, when I worked for the government, someone once called me a latte drinker, and it made me sad because it was <laughs> because I had pretty much just finished a latte like an hour before the accusation was made. And now you'd be an avocado toast eater. Probably, yeah. And, and if I added up all the lattes I've had over the years, 
uh, including my little almond milk phase, which we don't have to talk about right now. Uh, <laughs> but if I added them all up, I, I probably would have, you know, that would be the 401k that I wish that I had. That would be great. Right. But uh, okay. So he says, uh, don't, don't spend your money and all that stuff. Fair enough. Marco right. Rubio triggers nation's media with Bible quotes about peace. I saw some of this on the Twitter this morning. What's wrong with Bible verses? Or I guess from the media perspective, Buck, how naive. Yes. I mean, come on. Obviously, Marco Rubio is threatening to turn America into theocracy just by saying that he believes peace is coming, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Just basic Bible quotes. They were actually from today's readings. If you're a Catholic, they were from today's readings. And Everybody just went nuts. They were freaking out. What does this mean? What is he going to do to us? Is he dying? Is he going to turn this into the handmaid's tale? We don't know. And uh, But, of course, Marco Rubio was just trying to calm everybody down and get their day started the right way. Yeah, it's, that, that's, that seems like a, like a nice thing. Some people do inspirational quotes, you know? Right. There's, there's no I in team with somebody standing in front of, like, a, a, a white-capped mountain with climbing gear because that inspires people. I see that, and I'm always like, wow, that looks like no fun at all. I don't want to do that. But, you know, it inspires people to see this stuff. Other people put out Bible verses. I, 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 don't, see what the, I don't see what the hubbub's all about. Right. I mean, our office has something that says something like, uh, nobody's life is in vain. You may live to serve as a warning for others. So... Nice. There you go. Street is really keeping it real. There was a lot of in my in my government days. There was a lot of of snarky, uh, non motivational artwork. I'd say right. up all over the place, which is good because it was truth in advertising. Because when you right. go to the government, oftentimes you find yourself stuck in an endless cycle that's mostly just meant to make you docile and kill all of your ambition. Side note. Um, uh, let's get in. Let's get into. It depends on what you're doing in government, of course. But uh, I've seen plenty. I've seen plenty of folks with their spirits crushed by government <laughs> bureaucracy. Um, let's get into University of Michigan students marginalized by masculine dark wood paneling. As an aside here, before yes. you tell us the real story, and we're speaking to Emily Zanotti, who's the political editor at Heat Street. Everybody, check out our latest on HeatStreet.com. Uh, my, my girlfriend says that my apartment. Uh, everything is dark and all of my furniture is dark wood <laughs> and it looks like I'm trying to live in a hunting lodge in New York City or something. <laughs> Accurate. Very Ron Swanson. <laughs> a- of, of course, my hero. Accurate. <laughs> but what's the problem? Why does why does masculine dark wood paneling marginalize people? So apparently the University of Michigan is undertaking a multi-million dollar renovation of one of the signature buildings on their campus, the Michigan Union, which has been there since 1914 and has all this beautiful dark wood paneling and lovely paintings. It's just, it's a beautiful building. But it turns out that minority students and marginalized students don't like wood paneling because it makes them feel unsafe. It makes them feel like everything is supposed to be masculine and that their gender identity should be masculine. And it gives them the notion of the oppressive patriarchy when they walk into the room. So they want the University of Michigan to rip all of this paneling out when they do this massive renovation. Now, fortunately, we talked to the University of Michigan and they have no intention of ripping out 100 year old wood. So that's good. <laughs> I, I did not I did not realize that uh, the dark wood paneling could could trigger could be a triggering. Yeah, uh... Make you super nervous. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, this is this is a new thing that now people should be on on guard for. By the way, that's one of my aspirations in life. Well, one is to have an office because I've never had an office, and two would be to have an office with dark wood paneling. I really should have been a pediatrician in like the the eighties or something, you know, or or like a, a surgeon circa nineteen eighty seven. I feel like they always had awesome offices with lots of wood paneling. I aspire to the Beauty and the Beast library. You know, like that oh. huge library where just books cover the walls. Yeah. Oh. Interesting. Side note, you know, the movie Finding Forrester, which has Sean Connery and uh, stars Rob Brown as well, um, is uh, partially filmed in my high school, Regis High School. And there's a scene oh. where they're in this really amazing, it looks like they're in Hogwarts or something, where they have yeah. this, this beautiful library. That is not my school. <laughs> but but the, uh, <laughs> the, kind of, the kind of soulless and um, uninspiring hallways and locker room scenes. Some That's of, so, the school. Yeah, some <laughs> of those are my school, which I remember distinctly being at, uh, in the cafeteria and thinking, how different is this really from a penal colony? I mean, let's, let's just be honest about it. And the food, by the way, was also penal quality, uh, penal uh, colony quality. Quality. <laughs> yeah, good times. Um, all right, so uh, no one wants to be Donald Trump's next press secretary, also on HeatStreet.com. But I see Ms. Zanati, who is the political reporter over there, I see that uh, there are reports that none other than, than the uh, wonderful Kimberly Guilfoyle may be up for the role. Yeah, so that story is actually from the weekend when we were um... – hearing a lot of rumors from the Oval Office that Sean Spicer and Sarah Huckabee Sanders weren't particularly comfortable in their positions. But yeah, today we started to hear rumors that Kimberly Guilfoyle might be talking to the White House about moving over. And that would be really interesting because she's a prosecutor. She could certainly handle the press if she's handled juries. So it should be really interesting if that's the move that she makes. I've always thought that Spicer uh, was a... An uninspired choice for for the mm-hmm. role, just based on uh, the the way that the media can get away with being so aggressive with with him. Right. Uh, not to sound all social justice warrior here, but I think I think some members of the media are a little less likely to want to appear on camera to be uh, antagonizing and bullying a female. I, I think that that's right. I think that's a, an, an advantage in this whole process. I know people don't like to think of it that way, but this is, it's about the optics and messaging. And I do think that that plays into it. And, uh, uh Kim certainly is used to the camera and, uh, would be, yes. I, look, I think it'd be a great choice. We, we see what, you know, McMaster, instead of Flynn, you had McMaster today speaking in front of the press. And what I was thinking during part of that whole thing was, well, this it's in a sense, lucky that the Trump administration, uh, has this guy in place because he's Absolutely. such an such an asset. I think the same would be true for Kimberly Guilfoyle. And I think she has the right relationships with media. She's been in the media. She knows a lot of these people. She's reported from the ground. And she knows what she's talking about. So it would be great for her to be able to transition into a place where she could be a mouthpiece for the administration because it really needs someone who's very strong, who's very direct, who stays on message, and who can handle all the questions coming at them all the time. And I think she's definitely in the running for that. Uh, how this is kind of an aside, and there's one more Heat Street story I want to ask you about, Emily. But how how worried are you about Trump and America right now? <laughs> I don't know. I guess on a scale of one to ten, I hover around a five all the time because we it changes every day. We wait for these stories to develop, like the leaks to the Russians sort of developed, and we found out it was something that we kind of already knew, but we didn't know where it came from. So. It's hard to get really anxious about things because the 
stories are always developing and always coming out with new details. We have reporters that we work with who jump on things so fast that we're not able to get a lot of backstory. So I kind of hover somewhere in the middle. See, I feel like for for uh, journalists and and opinionators and and the like now, every time you wake up after their after a uh, a Trump story, because they tend to break at like tonight, you've got the New York yeah. Times with the Trump asking Comey to shut down the Flynn investigation. A lot of this stuff has been happening later on, and so you know that you know overnight you're like I'm just I'm going to deal with this in the morning, and then you wake up and you see your feed and your inbox and everything you got going on, and it, it's like, do I want to get in the middle? of this nasty bar fight between journalists right. where people are already like biting each other's ears. And, you know, it, it's, it's getting to that. They're, they're poking eyes. This is not nice. People are down in the mud right away now. So it used to be that we would get a couple of hours, even on Trump things, we would get a couple of hours of clear communication. And then we'd get something from the white house that was always kind of wishy-washy and we'd wait a couple hours and get something better. Now it feels like we are constantly in the mud on Twitter, on social media, screaming at each other. So it's it's a really strange dynamic. It's something I haven't experienced in more than a decade in journalism. So it's a yeah, new adventure every day. I just wish everybody would everybody would agree to just chill a little bit. Like we could all yeah. everyone in the media could just just take it down a notch, just take a deep breath. But they, I, I think that they're on the other side. They're like, no, we're we're going to get an impeachment any day now. And I want to be like, do you do any of you really think that that's going to happen? And the answer, unfortunately, I think is yes. I, I think that there's. If you were to poll the uh, the, the major newsrooms for yeah. cable news uh, outside of Fox and the major newspapers, right, the, the two biggest ones, the Times, the Washington Post, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think a majority of their staffs think that Trump is going to get impeached. That would be my guess. I, I'm basing that on nothing. I'm just going with my gut here. So you could say I'm making I it would, up fake news, but that would be my estimate. I would 100 percent agree with that. Everybody in those major organizations are constantly running around with their hair on fire, just looking for the next thing. And. I think they they anticipate that it's not a question of if he'll be impeached, but when. Um, I I think it's 100% guaranteed that those guys operate under that theory. Emily Zanotti of Heat Street. She's political editor there. Check out her latest at H-E-A-T-S-T dot com. Emily, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been uh, quite a day in the news cycle, my friends. That much is for sure. The uh, all-out, all-in assault on the Trump administration is, uh, I suppose we should have expected this all along, but now that we're in the middle of it, it just feels like there's nothing that the media won't say at this point. There's no trick they're unwilling to pull And the Trump team has got to tighten things up here. Uh, They really do have to uh, get on message. And I I know that they are under siege, but then they should have a siege mentality for the foreseeable future. Uh, They can't continue with the current posture of trying to win over, uh, in parts at least, trying to win over a media that is just bent on destroying them. Uh, Now, I know they're... Some, they're calling them fake news, and there's a lot of antagonism going both ways. Uh, but good faith is never rewarded when you're dealing with progressives out to destroy. I think that's something that uh, the Trump team needs to have in mind here going forward. This was interesting. A study of CNN that I meant to get to earlier. This is from uh, Newsbusters. 
CNN is completely obsessed with Trump and not in a good way. Oh, side note, CNN canceled my what would have been my defense or at least my explanation of the Trump team's defense of the meeting with the Russians. Uh, they canceled me earlier this morning because, you know, I'm sure that the, the, the sweet spot, if you're going to be a conservative who's going to go on a non-Fox network, is you have to either seem unreasonable or be able to be pummeled. Uh, if you're neither, if you're neither of those categories, they get a little iffy on on having you on, especially when the audience wants to see uh, a smackdown in favor of the Democrats. So, uh, but here's this from this uh, Newsbuster study: CNN is completely obsessed with Trump and not in a good way. CNN claims it's right down the middle, somewhere between the left wing MSNBC and the more conservative friendly Fox News Channel. But a Media Research Center study of an entire day of CNN's coverage shows the network spent almost all of its time covering the Trump presidency with a heavily skewed roster of anti-Trump guests and on-air commentators. A team of MRC analysts reviewed all of the cable network's programming on Friday, May 12th, starting with the 4 a.m. ET early start, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. After excluding commercials, our analysts found 13 hours, 27 minutes of actual news coverage. Uh, of that, 92% was devoted to the Trump presidency, with a mere 68 minutes devoted to all the other news of the day. Um, and, of course, this is negative coverage, right? Because if you're going to be on uh, CNN, you're going to see negative coverage of this administration. Uh, I, I think I think that there should be a um, I think that there should be a shakeup in this White House. I, I do. Um, they need people who are really competent. I mean, you saw the utility of General McMaster in that national security advisor role uh, because you, you need those who have a credibility that can't just immediately be undermined by the press. You know, if, if they want to mock McMaster or Mattis, they can try, but they they know they're going to look foolish at the end of the day doing that, whereas some of the other individuals in the uh, Trump administration, and not just on the communication side, but I think that's where the most glaring deficiencies uh, have been in recent days. Uh, some of the others uh, are just not up to this task of uh, both dealing with a Trump administration that is a little, look, it's it's a little loose cannon. I mean, dis disruption is not a smooth process, right? If, if, draining the swamp was never going to be easy. I mean, you could come up with all the bumper sticker slogans, but they're true in this respect. Uh, this was going to be a process that involved a, a lot of pushback and and rage uh, from those who are not just politically in the sense of they prefer other policies, but deeply ideologically opposed to everything Trump is doing and view this as view this whole administration as a refutation, right, as as refuting and undermining their own self, their own sense of their uh, their wisdom, their intelligence, their greatness, uh, their goodness, even. So th this is never going to uh, be an easier easier picture for Trump, and and he needs people in there who can really mix it up and who can go toe to toe with these journalists and not come come off looking like they either don't know what's going on or are being shady or evasive. Uh, or just quite honestly, out of out of their depth. There have been some changes. They might as well get it over with and make some more now. At least that's that's where I come down on this. Um, we'll see. Tomorrow is going to be another a full day now of Comey, uh, Trump, Russia, 
this is, uh, they're going to say it's worse than Watergate. They're going to say there should be resignations. There should be impeachment of Trump. Uh, th- we are in the in the full on in the full court press. This is the siege, and they've been around the walls of the Trump administration for a while. Now they're coming over the walls. Now the siege towers have arrived. Now the catapults are throwing stone boulders at the walls. This is going to get rough. Uh, so be prepared, everybody. And with that in mind, please do download today's podcast. You can subscribe at Buck Sexton with America Now on iTunes. Also, you can play on demand on the iHeart app anytime. Until tomorrow, and we're all going to need it. Trust me, my friends, no matter what comes your way, shield.